You are listening to Sesene Pa of Star Trek, where we discuss the Orville, Seth MacFarlane's optimistic but sometimes uneven remix of Star Trek. I'm Skilltow. Today we are watching Mad Idolatry. In this episode, Kelly breaks Union rules regarding contact with primitive civilizations. As that civilization then leaps forward in time, she has to grapple with the consequences of her actions, uh, such as they are. I hate it. It's not my favorite. I don't think it's the best of the season. I think it's all right. But for some reason, critics and audiences rate it super highly because of their uh, feelings and unsupported optimism for uh, the inevitable forward march and happiness of civilization, I guess. I, it reminds me of New Trek, which is, I think, the meanest thing I can say about anything trying to be Star Trek. They do what feels good and seems cool. They're opposed to having characters with any kind of self-restraint, any sense of, of principle, any sense of being within a hierarchy. Just do whatever. It has an okay sci-fi principle, though. This disappearing planet. Uh, there's a number of precedences for it in Star Trek, but the one that came to mind immediately for me is that since the star is in the same place in two universes and time works differently in two universes, it's a lot like the counterclock incident from the animated series. Yeah, blink of an eye. It made use of the idea, and it made use of the EMH character. That's a good one. I looked on the Orville wiki, and they called out the episode as being a lot like Who Watches the Watchers from TNG, where Picard becomes a god. And they do have that element where the kid gets healed, and that starts, or potentially starts a religion. But I'm actually going to disagree and say it's more like almost the same story. From Voyager, False Prophets, where Ferengi set themselves up as a priesthood on a Bronze Age world so they can control the economy and people's lives. <laughs> yeah. Becoming a god is a solid career move, and at least if you're a Ferengi. Adrian Paliki doesn't quite hit that mark here, but we do like her performance. She's good. She, she's been in a couple things. I don't recognize her at all. I know everyone was super excited when she signed on because they're like, she's this huge name. I never heard of her. I haven't heard of her in Friday Night Lights, which I guess is her longest running series. I did remember her from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Kind of liked her character. Did not know she was on Robot Chicken. Uh, did not know that she was the girlfriend who got fridged in the first episode of Supernatural. Although I did see that. And then... I also watched Supernatural, but, but I, I never watched Friday Night Lights because I was part of marching band in Texas, so I lived Friday Night Lights. But yeah, Grayson Grayson's career, Grayson's history. She's, uh, yeah, so we just watched Hollow Pursuits pretty recently, and she's doing almost the same thing for Lamar last episode that as Picard and Riker try to do for Barkley, except she does it better here. She seems like a better XO than Riker, or maybe some of the other Star Trek first officers. What do you make of that, is she? Especially on the heels of Hollow Pursuits, um, she looks great. She breaks the Prime Directive for preventable reasons. I think you tabled the possibility that she might still be buzzed from the night before, but I think Spock is a complicated dimensional character. I think every episode where Spock's in command of the Enterprise is a pretty good one. Spock's People talk a lot about uh, Kirk and Spock having kind of a fake marriage relationship, or not a fake marriage relationship, but like uh, they're not married, but the off CO and XO kind of like that. <laughs> and that, here that's literal. Yeah. I don't know if she's worse at supporting Ed than <laughs> Spock was at supporting 
Spock was stalwart, yeah. I do remember uh, Spock erasing women from Kirk's mind at various points. Because Kirk's feels were so titanically deep, the only way for him to resume a happy life was for Spock to non-consensually erase his memory. It's it's romantic in the original context, but um, yeah, one of those 60s things. It's sort of inverted in the conclusion of this episode, I think. All right, they have to set their feelings aside for the good of the ship. Yeah. Which I think is actually pretty close to what Spock says in that final scene of that episode. I can't really judge Chakotay. Oh, Dax isn't the DS9 officer. Yeah, That's I was, uh... was going to let it pass. <laughs> yeah, the interesting thing comparing anyone to Kira Norris and Ben Sisko's dynamic is just how those two characters break the mold in so many ways. It's it's incomparable because, again, Kira Norris is such a character on her own. One of the best characters in Trek. Uh, it's hard to, to compare to her. It's especially rough comparing uh, Kelly to Kira Norris. Because Grayson doesn't really have her own comedic dimension. She's basically just here to support Ed, support other characters, and get the plot moving. Yeah, and I like her character, but but she is kind of boring. I, I want to see her do more, more than that. She's one of the only people on the crew with uh, any career history. I think, what was it, Malloy has been benched for a while because <laughs> he tried landing a shuttle drunk. Lamar has been on the Orville for a while. Bordis has been on the Orville for a while. Okay. Malloy wrecked a shuttle trying to impress a woman. Right. Which is equally stupid. (laughs) But technically different. Yeah, but my point is he's been benched for a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The other characters are almost literally brand new to their jobs. I mean, I don't know how long Isaac's been observing humanity, but he just got assigned to the Orville. Alara seems like she just got assigned to the Orville. Yeah, her whole deal is... And our chief engineer left. Right. Kelly's one of our only people with any history. It'd be nice to dig into that a little bit more. It would be nice to see that. It's, you know, we didn't see a lot of that in season one. I think it would be a missed opportunity if we didn't see that in season two. One of the things that you kind of hit on earlier is that there was a lesson here that we could have had in this episode. This episode could have been about Kelly's impulse to go in and to, to touch people's lives and to make them better by controlling them and saying, hey, look, oh, I can fix this. This is wrong. Kelly can fix it. Kelly will do a thing. And then it turns out. And that's a good impulse for her. That's a good character trait. But in a certain context, like this one, it can be a flaw. And I'm disappointed this episode didn't review, hey, look, here's your, your skills to solve problems, and they're bad in this context. They did at least show that it was a consistent impulse for her, though. Yeah. And that's consistent with her seasonal arc, where she's pushing (laughs) Ed to make everything better. Right. Or to fix her own mistakes. I'm surprised. I didn't really think of that as a consistent character trait for her, but I guess it is. So kudos for the Orville for giving her at least one dimension. (laughs) Yeah, it's not the most thrilling one, but it's good. And at the same time, there's an issue of the union's policy, right? where the Union says, hey, look, we're not going to interfere with planets. And at the end of the episode, we learn, oh, none of that matters. But it would be interesting if we could look at the Union's 200 years of studying alien society and this planet's 700 years of, you know, progress. And we could say, hey, look, maybe the Union policy doesn't work for this situation. Maybe the small amount of experience we have over a small amount of time isn't isn't right. And maybe this planet shows us that. 
and let's grapple with that policy as mature adults and rethink that in the face of new information. And we completely blow past that. And the flip side of that is that the union has its, uh, they formed their policies for a reason. There has to be practical reasons for why the union policy is the way it is. And we don't grapple with that either. We don't. We is we're just like oh that's against policy we're gonna do it anyway because we're rebels and rogues and then uh, nothing happens there's no consequence in the next generation i don't know how much any of the other episodes talk about the prime directive i feel like the next generation is one of the first maybe most explicit (laughs) do they get into those questions so much or is it a general non-interference policy live and let live deep space nine is too busy blowing things up and being gay as hell to really get into that the same way tng did i feel like voyager would skip over it voyager has or it would be more of a is the situation desperate enough to break our principles yes no that that's a recurring question on voyager skipping over how well they handle it they it does come into play because they're more advanced than some of the people in the neighborhood they find themselves into and then there's even one episode i don't recall the name where the aliens are like, oh yeah, no, we could totally, we have like super engine, we could send you home, but that would violate the prime directive. <laughs> and it's a hilarious inversion where, start, where, you know, they're on the other side of it. Oh, that would be great. And we have an opportunity to try something like that, or at least touch on it in this episode. Right. I mean, the aliens at the end of this even could have brought, well, I guess Isaac did bring a thousand years of uh, sociological studies with him. And I have the feeling that the Orville isn't really going to follow up on that. No, no, it's not. I mean, you fast forward one year, right? You divide 365 by 11 and then multiply by 700. Um, And that's how much progress those people are going to have one year from this episode taking place. Um, Just the implications of that are are insane. Uh, From zero to V'ger in two years yeah exactly like it seems like it would maybe just stop coming after a certain point they would just have the technology to flick that off and not not mess with our universe anymore and instead of exploring any of that this episode repeats some of the themes from majority rule where they're looking at once you are part of an incident or an event or a meme you don't have any control over it you can't control your public image whether the meme survives or not is basically a random walk whether the population picks it up and runs with it or not. And they do a good job of showing the futility of trying to control or create something like that. And the episode talks a little bit about responsibility. Who has responsibility for starting something like that? Does Kelly have responsibility for that? Is it just the weight of history? But they don't put any weight behind it. They just sort of shrug at the end. Yeah, like the biggest missed opportunity is the question, is history created by large forces or by individual actions? Did World War II happen because something would have inevitably set off those alliances in Europe or because of Archduke Ferdinand and his assassin's incredible luck? And and this episode is frustrating because it takes that big topic and it, it falls short. It just says, hey, look, everything's inevitable, you moron, you idiots. I think there's something to be said for history and social development generally moving in a direction of mutual trust and cooperation. Uh, Looking at the real world, violent crime is down, wars, even though they're better televised, 
are less destructive as a percent of the population, and I'd have to check the stats, but I think even in absolute terms. As a general trend from ancient history to now, violence is decreasing, cooperation is increasing. So so is the are the material benefits of cooperation, the, the march of technology, are these inevitable, irreversible things that happen, or do they happen because people make decisions every day? I think... Uh, Ant Vasily Antonov, I think. He was a Russian guy who ran like uh, a radar outpost in the Cold War. He read an incoming attack. He decided not to launch missiles that would have set off World War III. Turns out it was a problem with their radar. So we say, hey, look, things have inevitably gotten better, but there are people who made individual choices to make sure that we didn't have that backslide. That's fair. And people in positions to set policy obviously can have a big effect on this. There's a hilarious map of New England or East Coast economic something or other. You would expect it to break down along like geographic. What happens is because of South Carolina's policies, the rest of the region looks natural and economic levels flow, but South Carolina is just uniformly depressed <laughs> by like 50%. God. because i used to live there i believe whenever i got there in 2001 the notion that you had to have car insurance was a new one uh that state is crazy holy shit yes <laughs> i mean granted i've lived near detroit most of my life so i can't go a day without seeing half a dozen cars with fairly serious damage but crepes there is some interplay between these two forces individual people big decisions and social forces and then at the end of this episode, it just says, eh, it's all inevitable social forces. People will murder each other. Nothing you can do about it. Life will get better. Nothing you can do about it. And we have seen planets in this show with world-ending plagues. Yeah. The... Like, how does that even how does that even work? There's an inevitable march of social progress, unless there's not, of course. In which case, what are we even talking about here? What have we learned from the show tonight? Uh, I'm baffled. I think we've learned that if you make one mistake, it is probably going to get drowned out by everyone else's mistakes. <laughs> and even if it snowballs, it snowballs because other people are making mistakes too, or decided your mistake was awesome and wanted to make it bigger. <laughs> I don't know. Kelly screwed up constantly. The episode wants us to know she screwed up constantly. They say at the beginning what she is about to do could send her to prison, and at the end, they sort of just gloss over the fact that she's probably going to get a court-martial. It's, it's bizarre. It's super frustrating. This It's a complicated question that a show like The Orville should dig into and that it should be consequential and it should have tendrils that stake out in consequences. But it just smugly asserts that positive social development is inevitable, but does nothing to support that assertion. It's infuriating. To be fair, I get the impression that this was part of the same pitch as majority rule <laughs> so i mean i could definitely see these two having originally been part of the same script and then they decided the ideas were big enough that they could separate them and an episode and a half isn't bad i mean that's basically how angel started out you can see it as a turd that takes two flushes but all right so save us and this episode i think was still being edited when they like one or two weeks before it aired so it's possibly an example of mcfarlane Pushing the limits of his production, staff, funding, capability. Yeah. I do praise this episode for having the audacity to link religion and violence and then saying everyone outgrows religion. 
whatever. Uh, it'll be, it'll all be fine. That seems like a bold thing to say. It does. I don't think they're right that everyone will outgrow uh, spirituality, and it would have been nice to see what the Orville thinks would occupy that place. Yeah, it's it's a very I don't want to say atheistic, but not not agnostic either. Something I think Star Trek might do better, just because they don't assume religion always goes away. <laughs> Or because they're freer with gods actually walking around. It, I mean, yeah. Star Trek has very little to say on religion until you get to Deep Space Nine, which I think handles it really well. But we could stand here all night uh, talking about Star Trek. So we got an episode pitch. And Yorville, <laughs> I assume, will be looking forward. I trust that the Orville is going to try tackling some of DS9's takes on, well, just about everything from this episode. I don't see how they could do next season without giving Kelly a court-martial. I don't see how they could kick her off the show by sticking her in prison either. So we've got to come up with a way to punish her whilst keeping her on the ship. Union Admiralty doesn't strike me as the types to say, hey, you can go to prison, or you can take a demotion and let us implant this experimental psychic organ in your chest. Like an ankle bracelet for your brain. I think Kess is okay, and Jean Grey Dark Phoenix is okay, but... Let's say that the court-martial starts out like uh, the drumhead from Next Generation, and they have a telepath that they're using on her, and the telepath digs up something unexpected from her previous ship, and it, maybe it's something that seemed innocuous at the time, or maybe it's something dirty that caught covered up, like uh, TNG's the Pegasus, or Symbiosis, her former shipmate's blackmailing her. Or this could be where her influences currency idea comes from, or why she's the one to pitch it to Lamar. Bonus points if the incident, whatever it is, involved injured peasant children. That's why she's so insistent on helping and healing people in this episode. Yeah, yeah. She could still get demoted, but stay on the same ship, which would be interesting if, because this season they had that will-they-won't-they they tension yeah, they did. from their divorce, and replacing that with her being a lower-ranking officer could be an interesting point yeah. of tension. For shits and giggles, let's also just have Kelly's mother show up for the court-martial. Clyden hits it off with her. And Yafit jets around outside the ship for some reason. <laughs> All that stuff sounds good. We talked earlier about Kelly being kind of a boring character. How she's not very funny on her own. Even though she can drive just about any plot. So if we take this, this relevatory court-martial and we use it as a way to change Kelly's character. So what if she, she is part of something bad that happened, but instead of maybe being blackmailed, she's a participant, like an active, willing, the means justify the end participant. And Kelly can be kind of an evil person. She can give uh, pitch black humor to plots and she can know about seedy corners of the universe or the union. And she can start being a participant in non-office politics stories and non-Ed Mercer stories. And, you know, like Mercer was married to her and she's like, well, you brought the best in me, Ed, and I quit doing that. And I think that would give a dimension to their relationship. This gets revealed in, in that whole wheel of the universe. Admittedly, I'm pitching Section 31 for the Orville, which <laughs> I think... I think It did I, sound a little bit like the protagonist from Discovery. Yeah, which I haven't watched. But I feel like I need to cut off one of my digits for doing that. But I think it's for the good cause of making a character more interesting. Uh, not the protagonist. Um, the captain of the protagonist ship. Oh, yeah, yeah. That guy I know about. I like it. I would be against making her out-and-out out evil. Hmm. Evil mm -hmm. in air quotes would be fine. Evil for the Orville. You know, evil in the Orville milieu. Yeah. 
be a good thing to do for season two. A good opener to get all of our palettes ready. Yeah, sounds good. I like giving Kelly that wider, more cosmopolitan experience. Let's her take some of uh, Picard's late season or late series plots where he goes off and does stuff because he's the <laughs> only one who has the experience yeah, or yeah. connections for it. Looking forward to season two, we should also yeah. look back on season one. Have your opinions changed at all from our first podcast? Uh, I don't remember our first podcast. I think in going through it again, I've been a lot harder on it. And I think for good reasons. I, No matter how hard I get, I, I have to compare this to TNG season one and say, is it worse than that? And it's not worse than that. On the other hand, it's been 30 years. So maybe your fledgling out of the gate season one should be a little better than the trash fire of the the TNG season one. Yeah, so again, like, I expect more from this show, but I see the promise. Yeah, Season one Futurama, for instance, I think I would rate season one Futurama more highly than this. Uh, season one Enterprise, I, I think this is probably about even probably a little bit funnier first season of discovery yeah the, the easy comparison the obvious comparison yeah well i still like them as two sides of the same coin yeah dorville being the colorful upbeat thing and discovery being the edgy dark thing yeah you're you're comparing nascar to a minivan there yeah because they're they're both made to do very different things you know the only real thing is you know how excited are you to see the next episode and how excited are you to watch the old episodes i that's an interesting thing in this for discovery for instance i think i'm more excited to see the next episode but with the orville i think i am generally happier with the course and ending of the episode overall the endings feel a bit more like the end of original series episodes so where they're, they're upbeat and everything's tied up with a bow? Yeah. I don't know that I would necessarily call everything upbeat, but tied up with a bow. We're resolved. Whereas Discovery is very, very serialized. But you know what? Actually, I don't even know if I'm going to... I don't know if this is going to make the cut. You know, I, I saw both trailers for season two of each show, and I'm way more excited to see Discovery. I'm, I'm mulling around that five bucks. Oh, you haven't uh, seen season one yet? No, I've not seen season one of Discovery. I'm familiar with the broad strokes because I'm just like, meh. So like, I, I'm totally spoiled on it, uh, but I have not seen episode one. Yeah, I've watched it on my... In our first episode, I believe I said that I like things that are made from other things. The Orville seems very much to be made from Star Trek in a way I enjoy. I enjoy picking out those like very tightly packed 60 seconds where they have just a ton of references. And it's full of good comedic timing. There's some drama, some action... But I wanted to qualify that when I say I like things that are made from other things, I do not mean Ready Player One. I mean something like the Orville. <laughs> there's there's a limit, Rocky. Yeah. 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 I don't know if this is going to happen in season two, now that I've seen the trailer for season two, but I am looking forward to the crew visiting the Krill homeworld and meeting Space Ahab. Do you have any projections or hopes for season two? I think all of my projections and hopes have been in our pitches. Our pitches have been really creatively demanding for me and rewarding and fun. I really like that. You know, I think everything I, I want to see in season two has been in this podcast. Yeah. Uh, I will get exactly zero of it, but you know, I can hope until it happens. That's fair. So, so I guess we have uh, another four or five months till the next episode. Um, yeah, thereabouts. A way to put me on a clock for editing. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's uh, it's, <laughs> it's going to be tight. But yeah, no, yeah, I I, I look forward to. It. I probably will watch it. So I have high hopes. So we'll see what's up.
Well, and um, until we get a sign yeah. off. See you next time, faithful listeners. <laughs>